Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest news in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, you can hear Tech Radio on air with RT Friday evenings or anytime you like with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Google or Spotify. We also keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is episode 858 and joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, uh, Niall Kitson. And I know you're going to take me to task about us broadcasting on RT and DAB, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I was quite surprised <laughs> when I heard this uh, just uh, a couple of days ago now. But um, RT is shutting down its DAB service. Um, now, I mean, you've been you've been part of this story, really, for the last nearly 15 years. I'm going to preface anything that we say in this conversation is that I have nothing to do with RTE. Our show is on RTE, but I have mm-hmm. nothing to do with RTE. I have nothing to do with their DAB thing. And I don't have any insider information about what happened. Only what I think has gone on. OK, right. OK. Good. And I'm happy to Good share to that or you can stick with the facts. <laughs> <laughs> like a, like it's a choice. It shouldn't be a choice, you're gonna, Dusty. You're going to go and conjecture, are you? All right, fair enough. Uh, listen, uh, uh, what was it? it? was 18 months ago, okay? And mm-hmm. RTE uh, kind of, did, they literally went, look, you know, money's tight. We need to save. There was a big reviews as they do from time to time. And one of the things that came up was DAB. DAB is not taking off because the commercial radio industry has not engaged with DAB. Now, my personal opinion is the reason that is, is because Communicore weren't engaging with a DAB because they were readying themselves for sale. And the last thing they wanted to do, you don't get involved in new technology when you're about to sell your company. All right. That's mm-hmm. basic business. So there's nothing wrong with it. All right. Um, but because there was nothing happening with the commercials, RTE kind of, went, well, why are we the only ones flying the flag? We should turn it off. And I would imagine that somebody said that and then somebody else went, well, but hang on a minute. We've got some some fantastic content that we put out on DAB. We've got the Kids Channel with Junior. Uh, we've got RT Gold is very popular with all of the oldies. We've got uh, Radio 1 Extra, which we're on, which does a lot of extra speech programming. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Um, and it's kind of like, well, what do you do? Do you keep paying, paying the bills and nobody's listening? Or do you let it run online where it's far more cost effective? And that was the kind of decision that had to be made. And it happened, uh, it was announced 18 months ago, and I think there's been a lot of, shall we say, discussion mm-hmm. <laughs> since, all right? And now it's just been announced that what RT are going to do is they're turning off their DAB transmitters, but they are going to keep the content online. Mm. So yeah. you'll still be able to listen to Radio 1 Extra or RT Gold or whatever. And I think, that I believe they're still going to be carried on uh, Serview as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I gather that as well. And I, like, I, I listen. I, I have a dab radio at home. Mm. I, I listen to dab um, just because I, I find the audio quality is better. Just quite like it. Um, mm-hmm. And I sort of having a think that yeah, okay, there, there, there's plenty of room for stations, but there aren't a lot of stations out there at the moment for for reasons as as you've outlined. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, what do I have beside my dab radio? Only a Google Nest speaker. And do you use that then? I do. To listen to radio. 
I do. A lot more people are doing that. A lot more people. Now, not a huge, you hear it a lot more in conversation, okay? But I don't Mm. think it's any kind of serious numbers just yet, all right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the one one thing I always say about DAB, which I really like as a radio broadcaster, is that um, we're able to go on Google and we're able to go on Amazon, we're able to go on all the different smart speakers and yada, 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 but they can't go on DAB. Because they need a license from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and they're not going to get one. So DAB would be something that the radio industry would own for themselves, Mm. which is another reason why I thought it was a a fantastic platform. But what's interesting about all of this happening this week, just as they've announced it, is also this week or in the last couple of days, last seven days certainly, is that Communicore has been sold. I know. To Bauer. To Bauer. Who are a very big DAB operator in the UK. (laughs) I could very well turn around and say, hey, lads, we've got a great idea. (laughs) It's working amazing for us in the UK. It's called DAB. And and it's going for cheap in Ireland because the the national broadcaster has just stepped away from it. No, uh, it's going to be... DAB is a bit, it's a bit like Bitcoin, all right? Mm. It's going to just linger there and everybody's going to ignore it and then something, a switch is just going to go and boom, it's going to go up on fire. Absolutely. Light up is what I mean and explode with interest and stuff. You like are that. convinced. So it may or it may, it, it may or it may not happen yet. But as I say, all of those opinions are of my own. Um, also in the news this week, we have Google are, are also getting out of DAB. Oh no, sorry, not DAB. Well, they may as well be. <laughs> sure, why not? What are Google they're getting, getting out of something that they they I I thought they were in for the when I, when I saw they were doing it and I saw the effect this this piece of technology was having I thought grand Google is here to stay in this field and apparently not so uh, if you are a fan of virtual reality and Google Cardboard and its uh, associated apps. Uh, sucks to be you right now because Google has decided it's shutting down cardboard. That's it. You will not be able to get cardboard. Um, no more little viewers. Uh, then there was oh, the, wow. what was it the daydream, which was like the cardboard mm. plus kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so no more apps, no more little experiences, no more Are you, are you disappointed? Headsets. Are you um, disappointed or are you kind um, of making fun of it? A little bit of both. Um, <sighs> Like, I mean, as a, as a, a proof of concept, that's what cardboard is. You know, it's, yes. it's, you don't go out and you go, I'm going to buy a cardboard viewer. That's, this is going to be a great idea. No, that was never the point of it. It was basically just, here's something, put your phone in, isn't virtual reality great? This is the kind of thing you'll be able to do. Eventually. Exactly. Uh, and at that, I think it's sort of mission accomplished. I think if somebody wants, uh, is really interested in VR these days, you can go out and buy uh, either a secondhand Oculus or uh, you can get the um, the entry level, which is the is the Quest at the moment. It's either the Quest or the Go is the, the entry level. Um, I gather, yeah, there's no more apps being uh, developed for the Galaxy Gear. Um, Samsung mm-hmm. have officially stepped away from VR as well. So we are seeing this um, stratification of the VR sphere where you have sort of the, the lower end people getting out of that that space, mm. just going, okay, look, the demand isn't there. And the people that are into it seem to be really, really into it and are, are quite happy to spend money on it. So yeah, it, it's, it's very much a, a polarized market. There's people who either are all in on VR or couldn't care less. And yeah, 
yeah, there's an awful lot of people that couldn't care less. So much so that Google has decided that a cardboard viewer (laughs) is too much to ask. (laughs) Ah, Well, listen, I'm glad that they did it because it gave people a a chance. Because if you have a smartphone and all you needed was that stupid little cardboard thing to try it out, I I think it was a good thing. And Google do an awful lot of those things that uh, uh, they'll try it out and it doesn't work uh, and they move on. And then they do do an awful lot of good things that do work and then just become kind of global day-to-day things we use every day. Uh, Speaking of things that do and don't work, um, uh, SpaceX have been blowing it up, literally. They have been blowing up. Now, you have an awful lot of time for SpaceX. You believe that the commercialization of space exploration is a good thing. Um. I, I actually am not sold either way on this. I, I'm While I fully appreciate the necessity of state-backed space exploration and the fact that these things are very expensive and that guess where the money is, it's with business, so it makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I'm not sure why, like, I mean, SpaceX has basically helped solidify the myth of Elon Musk. I think and there's a the big myth cult of personality of around is, this. May, maybe it is. And I like the I like the story that goes around where I was listening to a podcast about this whole thing, Business Wars, and uh, it was quite funny. It was almost cartoon-like the way they said it. Uh, they kind of went, uh, hi, I'm Elon Musk. I found a PayPal and I'm a billionaire and I've decided we have to go to Mars. <laughs> and that's how he'd go into meetings and stuff like when that. You, when you put it but that way. He has... Yeah, but do you know what? His thinking about it is quite right. And actually, if you think about what's happening to us all right now in lockdown uh, with COVID raging around us and we can't go anywhere, okay? That's, you think it's bad in your home, right? We are on this one planet. And that one planet is like your home, your apartment, your flat, your bedroom, your office, wherever it is you're listening to this podcast right now. Our planet is like that in the, in, I was nearly going to say the global sense of things, in the universe sense of things. We can't get off the damn planet because we can't live anywhere else. If you get a virus that was going to come in and was literally going to be so toxic that the minute you touch somebody, they're dead, that would wipe out the planet, that would wipe out humanity, gone. Unless... We've got a couple of people living on Mars, <laughs> right? And, they, right. and they, they can all they, they can all have drinks on a Friday night. Do what humans do after drinks, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and on we go. <laughs> and on we go. Do you not see the sense in that? Well, to a certain extent, yeah. Until you end up bringing back microbes from Mars that are incredibly toxic to oh, God, everyone no, except the people oh, that have no. happened to settle over there. <laughs> I can just see Nile at the supermarket in his hazmat suit and his mask <laughs> and his rubber gloves and every darn thing. Listen, uh, speaking of SpaceX, uh, I was going to say the reason they're in the news uh, is because uh, on Wednesday, I think it was, they're working on the spaceship at the moment so that it can self-land itself. And every time they've tried it up until now, it's blown up on, on impact. But yesterday, <gasps> oh my God, the thing landed and it was like amazing. And then it blew up. <laughs> So they got hey, about this, this 10 seconds progress. of it on the ground or whatever. But it is progress. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. All the headlines are, another rocket has blown up. It's like, no, lads. The headline is, is that they shot that 10 kilometres up in the air and it landed and it stopped and it was sitting there. All right. So their next step is what they need to figure out is how to get it to land as it did and then stay there and then just not have anything happen after and, that. And Other stay than, not blown up. Happy passengers. <laughs> exactly. Happy passengers. Sounds like uh, such a simple thing. 
don't blow up. It does. Do you know what? Often the simplest things in life are not as simple as as you think. Um, listen, last story uh, just before we get into the interview and very quickly because we've run out of time. Uh, Evros have announced the merger with Air is official. It's all been passed and stuff like that. I think this is interesting because Evros do a lot of good stuff for IT and communication backbone and, uh, and, and telephone and all that kind of stuff uh, for businesses. With this merger with Air, Air have got the 5G network. And we're yeah, and, always and talking about businesses in areas that don't have fibre and don't have high speed uh, internet. If they can get that with 5G, with all of the services that Everest do, I think it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Just bear in mind that it's a merger with Air Business, so so not Air Proper. So we're not going to be seeing ads targeting yourself and myself for uh, for Everest products or anything like that. Um, but yeah, the, the potential of a, a, a very rugged 5G backbone and develop and delivering applications to businesses that, you know, per, perhaps need uh, the benefit of you know, maybe even a, a, an entirely new network to connect to. So yeah, it's a, it's exciting times ahead, especially if you live in a, in a, a you live in or you are running a business in an area with very poor broadband penetration. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Listen, that is it for the news for this week. Niall, as always, thank you very much. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Earlier this week, Science Foundation Ireland unveiled a strategic plan taking us up to the year 2025 and beyond. But if one thing that the past year has taught us is that it's impossible to know what resources you're going to need and when. So how do you balance long-term and short-term thinking when it comes to scientific research? Niall Kitson spoke with Science Foundation Ireland Deputy Director General Kieran Shoige about what the future holds because... Scientific discovery used to take years. However, now with COVID-19, we're seeing a huge pickup in the speed of development. Indeed. And, you know, what we've seen is the policy advice part of science is the most immediately impacting the the COVID-19 crisis. But on top of that, we were able with uh, the other research funders, so that was with the IRC, the HRB, EI, IDA and ourselves, to launch a rapid response research and innovation call for the COVID-19 crisis and actually to encourage researchers to go to work on solutions that would have an impact in the first instance within six months. And we were able to see that pace was achievable, pace was important, and we could do it. We could launch the call, we could do it collaboratively, we could encourage researchers to work in a very transdisciplinary way to come and solve the problems at a real pace that would have an impact on day-to-day lives and work to help alleviate the pandemic. And that's everything from robots going into hospitals to uh, PPE developments uh, and many more beyond. So, uh, yeah, it is fascinating to see the overlap between projects that that had been, you know, collinear in the past. All of a sudden, uh, there there is an event that brings everything together. Have you? Did you find any sort of issues with teams communicating? Did you find that you know people working in biotech couldn't actually speak to people in robotics, as as I know some sometimes happens? Uh, or was it very much sort of eyes on the prize? Okay, look, let's get over our respective jargons and just look to solve individual problems. Much more the latter. It was a case of really at the early stages, we were inundated with calls and researchers and others, you know, industry players coming to us to say, asking one simple question over and again, how do we help? What can we do? And it was amazing to us to see at that stage, the number of teams that had formed 
automatically, in spite of the lockdown and the challenges with the traditional challenges of communicating as they were between different disciplines, but also the challenges thrown at us by the COVID-19 crisis. But people overcame them very, very quickly. And in a way, that is one of the sort of the real strategic advantages we have as a country. We might, we might be small, we might have small budgets, but we have a degree of interconnectedness and networks within this country where the degrees of separation between any one individual in the country and the policymakers at the top are much, much smaller than they would be for the, the big countries. And that's something we saw come out you know, in, in, to the fore really in the, uh, the crisis in the early stages as companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, clinicians, and all kinds of individuals across the country with different ideas came together, formed their own teams, and then were pretty much shovel ready once we had our rapid response call ready to go. Wow, that, that that's really sort of a, an interesting side effect of being being you know such a small country with uh, I, I guess a, a comparatively small scientific com- community still, which I know is something you're working on. Indeed, yes. So um, we would uh, we have a we have a small but a very potent community. I would say it's a very powerful community, and because of that connectedness, I think we have the ability to amplify it. So you know, we we take that distributed excellence that exists around the country and we put it together. It and it comes together automatically, and that amplification process means that the the sum is greater than the whole of the parts. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts, rather. <laughs> uh, and I suppose to to look forward then towards uh, how we expect that some of the parts to, to grow and improve uh, upon itself. Uh, Science Foundation Ireland has just released their strategy for 2025. Um, and previously, I guess the mantra within Science Foundation Ireland has been, um, you know, innovation and impact. Uh, however, the, the message seems to be slightly more nuanced this time, that you're, you're kind of slightly more forward facing in the sense that you're looking to get um, I don't know, maybe greater exposure or to get the public to understand a bit more about what you do and what science's role is in society, while also still supporting that excellence in research. Yeah, so we were actually delighted this week to have uh, Anthishuk and Minister Harris join us for the launch of our new strategy. And um, it was just great to, to listen to both leaders talking about the importance of research and innovation and the importance of investing in it because of it, it is the future of our country. And it's something we would absolutely ascribe to in SFI. You know, we see that the research is really, really important. And in our new strategy, you're absolutely right. There is a nuance. There is a difference. You know, the, the previous strategy, the focus was really about optimizing the system. And we were working in quite a budget-constrained environment. You know, a lot of the previous strategy happened during the downturn, and that meant that we had to take the system and make it as efficient as possible. And as an outcome, we now have the most RD&I efficient system uh, as, as in the Eurostats uh, that came out in Europe. That means that for every euro you put into the Irish system, you get more back than anybody else does. So that's great. It's a really good baseline now. And the new strategy then is designed to, to build on this, to grow from here. And it is a growth mindset as well as a horizon scanning mindset, looking ahead of what's coming around the corner. And so you'll see absolutely excellence is core to what we do. And we want to have that excellent science always. It'll be adjudicated by international peer review and it'll have to be deemed excellent by those international peers. And that's, you know, we are a competitive funder and that's how we operate. The impact, we are, you know, reinvest, uh, sort of inventing how we do impact. We're looking at the new ways that can measure impact. That's not just industrial impact, but there's also many, many ways. As COVID-19, for example, has demonstrated, impact comes in many forms. So we're looking at those tangible benefits that come from doing that research. 
But then there's um, you know, another important factor of the new strategy that we're looking at, which is what we call a balanced portfolio. So we want to make sure that as we go forward, as we go into a growth mindset and a growth strategy and increase the investment in research and innovation in Ireland, we want to do so in a way that we have a really balanced portfolio, a portfolio that looks across all aspects of research from individual-led to large centres, from early careers through to advanced research professors, from you know across different fields and regions, etc. There's a wide range of areas that we want to look at. And if we're going to have a truly world-class system, we need to be developing it in a very balanced way. Yeah, because I think in the past people uh, associated Science Foundation Ireland with with the centres and that that was kind of what you guys were. You were, you were sort of the, the funding body that, that managed the centres. And uh, as, as the, the years have gone by and the centres have, have come up for renewal and, and assessment, uh, that certainly has shifted. But uh, also there has been the window for challenge-based uh, projects and and also one uh, that was aimed at uh, improving the percentage of participation of women in uh, scientific leadership as well uh, um, came and went as well. So to what extent do you look at, you know, movements in society, movements in science, movements in industry and go, do you know what, this is, this is something we should be involved in? Uh, and how do you build that sort of spare capacity into a, a strategy where you would imagine people come to you going, okay, what's going to, what's science going to look like in five years? You know, how, how do you go, well, do, do you know what, we, we know we're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z, but you know what, there's something around the corner. There might be a change in society. There might be a specific challenge like COVID that comes along. We, we have to have capacity to deal with these things as well. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, a, I suppose, a difference between keeping spare capacity and having flexibility to do what we need to do. So our intent would be to be very flexible and agile and responsive. And as well as that, to be looking around the corner for what's coming next. So that horizon scanning or anticipating what's next that we talk about. You know, you're talking maybe five years, but actually we really need to be thinking 10 and upwards, because when you think in the research field and the research timescales, you know, the three to five years is kind of more the industrial timescales. And then the five, 10 and upwards is when you get into that research timescale. So when we think about what might be required going forward, we have to be looking out a good bit for, further. And that, of course, brings a degree of inherent risk. So we need to be uh, looking at these areas, using the analytics, trying to look at what's coming up next, going after, a, as I said, a balanced portfolio of research as well. So that means we have top down as well as bottom up. So you know, we, we would always have a very innovative approach to how we do things. We'd always be reinventing how we would approach our calls and our programs to adjust to the changing conditions and circumstances. One example there is you, know, you take a top-down solution, and that is where you do challenge-based funding. So challenge-based funding is the process whereby you sort of carefully curate the challenge, the problem you're trying to solve. And as we can see going forward, you know, the pandemic has given us a challenge, but there are others coming very soon. The climate challenge has not gone away. How we deal with that and what comes up next is going to be a critical factor in, in our sort of thinking from challenge-based perspective. We'll also have bottom-up funding. So that's where it's open to researchers to come to us and we say, okay, you come to us with your ideas. That's a bottom-up research concept. And that gives us that fresh new thinking as we go forward. But there's also a challenge to us as SFI. How do we put out calls and programs out there that might spark even more new innovative ideas? And you talked earlier on about the fact that you know, we often measure things on excellence and impact. But sometimes we have to look you know, around the corner a little bit further, and then we'll ask ourselves a third question. So it'll have to be in excellent anyway. That's excellent people doing excellent research by international peer review standards. It'll be an impact in terms of, well, why are we doing this? What is the impact society, economy, knowledge? But the third question is going to be, you know, we can't do everything. We don't have enough budget in Ireland to go after everything. So there'll be that third question of, 
Why in Ireland? What about Ireland makes this worthwhile doing? And that could be a range of things. It could be because of the research base we have here or the expertise we already have so that we have a, a strategic advantage there. It could be because of particular needs to our economy or our society. It could be because of our geographic location or a host of other reasons. And so we'll be looking to really push the boat out a little bit further in some of those more horizon scanning calls to say, tell us you know, why this is something that we should really do in Ireland. And then we really need to get comfortable with the idea of taking a punt and taking some risks on this high risk, high gain research. That's a very interesting uh, take on things to to look sort of for for the local and because as they say, everything global is local. So do you see scalability as being sort of core to a pitch as well? That even though somebody might say, you know, here's a, a solution to an Irish problem for what for want of a more fortunate uh, uh, expression, do you do you also look for that sort of scalability nugget in there? I suppose as well. It's, it's, if it's there, it's great. It doesn't necessarily have to be there because sometimes it's hard to determine where that scalability is going to be. So, you know, if we can solve an Irish problem that has the ability to solve a global problem, so much the better. So if there's a particular climate-related problem that we solve here that can solve problems for other people in the world, that's obviously going to be something that you know gives us a profile. And so an Irish profile that we raise internationally is really, really good. That, that creates an ability for us to attract that top talent to Ireland. So the students that we want to have here or the professors that we want to have here, which then in turn attracts the industry and the people who want to be in Ireland because they see that profile of Ireland having its impact on the world stage. So absolutely, if we can solve a problem here that can go elsewhere, great, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. You know, in the, when you're really pushing the boat out, that's when we have to be comfortable with the idea of some risk. Uh, one one thing that people say is that you know talent is not necessarily uh, raised; it's it's born. You know, um, and part of what SFI will be doing over the next few years is raising the number of research training centres that are available. Um, so, what sort of areas are you looking are being branched out into at the moment? Because granted, each centre has their own speci- specialism. Um, so, which sort of offshoots are you seeing? Uh, I, I suppose uh, areas that need speci- specific skills that perhaps aren't available maybe at master's level or at P- PhD level. Yeah, so what, what you're talking about there is our, our centres for research training. So we had the, the first of those was in uh, in the data sciences recently. And um, the model there is basically cohort-based PhD training. And what we're trying to achieve is you know, we have it set out in our new strategy. We actually distinguish between talent and skills. We see talent as, as the professors, the academics, the researchers who are training the skills, which we see then as the masters and the PhD students that, that come out of the Irish system. And we want to make sure that anybody who's coming out of the Irish system, those skills are the most sought after individuals in the world. They're sought after for their skills, but then their particular learning and training, but they're sought after because they're more rounded in their skills and experience. So part of the answer to your question is to say that no matter what field or what areas we go into, we want to make them more rounded and more sought after. And an example of doing that is to make them, you know, to, to have those cohorts working directly uh, to industry, to make them accessible to industry so that industry can give them that insight as well of what you know, work it's like to work in industry. They can hit the ground running later on. So whether someone chooses a career in academia or in industry, anybody who's come through these advanced training programs is much more likely to well, secure the, the, uh, the career they're looking for, but also to be sought after in the system. In terms of specific areas, that's something we're constantly monitoring and tracking. And we use a number of different inputs and metrics there to see what where the interest is going to be, where the gaps are going to be. Sometimes it's kind of hard. We have to look quite far out. 
And uh, we're just doing sort of a back of the envelope calculation at one point just to see, you know, if we want a large cohort of a particular type of students, it's a, there's a long lead time into doing some of that stuff, particularly if it's in new fields or, or emerging areas. So you can imagine there are fields right now, so you know, data science is the one example, but you know, advanced manufacturing and uh, pharmaceutical fields where you, know, you could see the need for more and more people in that sort of you know, medium term. But if you look into the longer term, what is it going to be? And that's harder to predict, the real future of jobs, the future skills that are hard to predict. And uh, the, the one we, t- we typically use as an example is, you know, suppose industry were to come to us and say, 10 years from now, we're going to need an awful lot of quantum skills. Quantum technology will have taken in the next decade, will have gone on in leaps and bounds, and it's going to be really important to us in, in Ireland. And if we want to have an ICT sector, this is going to be required. But if you work backwards from there, if you want them ready by 2030, you'd have to have the PhDs, which is about four years or so. You know, The intake would be 2025 or late 2025, which means the program has to be set up between 24 and 25, which means the calls have to be out in 23, which means we need to set this up and start getting working on it next year. So it gives you a sense of the timelines we have to be looking at when we're really looking at that sort of the, the future of skills and the future of demand in Ireland. And uh, as, a, as an agency, that's our job to try and look around the corner about what's coming next. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with the Deputy Director General of Science Foundation Ireland, Kieran Shoike. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie. And of course you can listen to us each week online or Fridays with the DAB Digital Radio while it's still there with RTE Radio One Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall, have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central.